Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 83rd episode of the podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about a number of things, but I'm going to focus in here in a moment on uh, where you can go to stay while you're fishing and maybe save a few dollars, but maybe find your next favorite vacation spot. But before I get to that, I want to go through a few miscellaneous items. I don't often do this, but uh, today just seemed like a good day to talk about a few kind of random things, and hopefully they are of interest to you. But the first one that I wanted to mention is that I got out to fish a few times in the last few weeks. You can say, well, that's good. I come to the Casting Across podcast and website to hear some semi-informed opinions and information about fishing. Well, I do fish a lot, but I really messed up my ankle back on Mother's Day, and I talked about that a few times. And I just got back to the place where I can fish. So a little freshwater fishing uh, last week, and that was very successful. And then some saltwater fishing, which I was a little bit hesitant to do because of the footing out on the rocks here up in um, rocky New England. Everything is covered in seaweed and there's stuff all over the rock. I mean snails and crabs and I don't step on crabs but the footing is not great and um, the rocks are slippery and casting requires a lot more than moving your wrist. I mean, that's good casting form to not just move your wrist, but it also involves, you know, all the way down to your hips. And then of course, as your hips move, then your legs are going to move. And as I mentioned in a previous podcast, we sometimes don't realize how many stabilizing muscles in our thighs and our calves that we use when we are casting, especially if we are throwing an eight weight and we are throwing a weighted line with a weighted fly and so I was a little bit hesitant about getting out there and really torquing out, you know, 60 to 70 feet of fly line into the New England surf. 
but I did. It wasn't successful. It was a family day on the water, and so I didn't fish a whole lot, but I was able to make casts, and it really boosted my confidence. And so for me, that's exciting because it means I'm going to get back on the water. I was able to get into fish in the freshwater, and hopefully as the stripers and the bluefish are moving up uh, here in New England, I'll be able to get into those soon. I think it's just also a just a, a, a continual reminder for me that uh, I can't take fishing for granted. I can't take jogging for granted. I can't take hiking for granted. I can't take chasing my uh, 18-month-old for granted and you know running alongside of my bigger boys that ride their bikes for granted. These are things that are blessings and I've been so blessed to do and I just have just assumed I could do them. And I know that a really bad ankle sprain is so minor compared to the kind of injuries and disabilities and other situations that people go through. But for me personally, this has been a great reminder and I've just been counting my blessings. I know that sounds cheesy, but for all the things I still can do, I'm up and I'm moving and I'm waiting in uh, the surf in New England and uh, and casting, even though I'm still not back at 100%, I can do those things. So that is very good stuff. Uh, the second thing uh, that I wanted to mention is if you are still in quarantine, uh, don't watch documentaries about fly fishing and hiking and travel in beautiful places that are far from you. It will really bring you down. Well, not really. My wife and I just not even half an hour ago finished watching something in the Pacific Northwest and there was salmon and there was rainforests and it was just spectacular. I just got some fly fishing gear in actually today from uh, a company in the Pacific Northwest that I'll be testing out here and writing about and talking about in the near future. But I almost want to just go over and like touch the box and smell it because I know I'm not going to be out there anytime soon. I think escapism is good uh, when you have an opportunity to escape. And so being kind of in the situation that we're in now, and I know that you can travel, but it's not like I can travel with my whole family right now. So it's not going to happen. All that to say, it's coming. I have, I'm optimistic. I'm by nature an optimistic person. And uh, so I think that we will be able to move a little bit more freely very soon. But uh, I guess that my cautionary tale is to don't read or watch anything that is going to make you yearn to go somewhere a few thousand miles away. But my goodness, it is beautiful um, up in the Pacific Northwest. I have never been. The furthest west I have been is the Continental Divide. And um, so I haven't even seen the Pacific Northwest and uh, I'd love to get there someday. I mean, to fish would be fantastic, but just to see stuff would, would be good as well. All right, third thing, and the last one before I get into kind of the meat and potatoes of the podcast is I just wanted to just uh, commend the guys at Taylor Trash Fly Fishing Podcast. Now, they are an incredibly authentic bunch, and they might not be your style. They are tangential. They talk about all sorts of things that have nothing to do with fly fishing. Sometimes it is political. Sometimes it is on the more crass side of things. But the one thing that you can say about those guys is that they are authentic. What you hear is what you get. And I can say that from limited interaction with them offline, but um, also just uh, it shines through in their podcast. So they mentioned um, an article I wrote about a PFD, uh, an astral PFD, and I talked about astral a lot because they're not a fly fishing company. I'm not on astral pro staff or anything like that. I just really, 
like their shoes and now I like their PFD. And so the guys at Taylor Trash talked about that as they were talking about fishing safety and how sometimes that is something that we do take for granted also and we don't think about. And so they gave a shout out to the website and to the links and linked to my article and linked to the page over at Astral. And I think it's cool because we have no professional relationship. They're not getting money from me. I'm not getting from money from them. But I think that's that's really the heart of the fly fishing community. And that's something that they talk about a lot um, in a really casual way that I think is good. And so it just it, it warms my heart. And that's a cheesy way to say it. But it, it's true that there is a culture and a community in fly fishing that is real, that isn't superficial, that isn't based on Instagram likes, that isn't based on grip and grins, that isn't based on uh, dollar signs, but that's just uh, people who appreciate each other and the linking element, fly fishing, that being a fun little connection point. So anyway, I appreciate those guys. There's a lot of people I appreciate in fly fishing, but I do appreciate uh, those guys. And so you know, the, their podcast might not be uh, your bag, but uh, it I would say it's almost on the, the farthest end of the spectrum away from the Casting Across Fly Fishing podcast. But that's cool. That's great that there is uh, things that exist out there that are kind of more conversational, that are interview focused, that are short and quippy like mine to each his own. Different strokes for different folks, etc., etc. All that to say, eight minutes and about half in, and I want to talk about cabins. And so when you think of fly fishing cabins, what do you think? Wood smoke? Mothballs? Dust? Maybe your wet waders? So all of these are the scents that won't be making Yankee Candles list of new releases. But that doesn't mean that they're completely repulsive. Now perhaps on their own, they don't have much to offer. In fact, they can be downright off-putting. No one wants to come away from a hug smelling like mothballs. And I think we've all been there. You know that person in your life that um, is apparently afraid of moths. And so they smell like mothballs. Maybe it's fly tire. Anyway, but when all those things are combined together in some bizarre olfactory cocktail, the situation changes. Wood smoke, mothballs, dust, and wet waders. Because the context of that specific blend is primarily found in one place, a cabin. And, you know, you throw the wet waders in, and it's more specifically the fishing cabin. Now, I don't own a fishing cabin. And in fact, unless some acquaintance of mine is holding out on me, I don't think I know anyone with a fishing cabin. But I've rented quite a few of them over the years. And I've seen a lot of photos of both vintage ones and new ones, and there are some universal features... And you don't get this in the pictures, but I assume it's the smells. So let me start off by commenting on upholstered furniture. So anything that gets, quote, shut down over the winter, lacks air conditioning over the summer, and isn't tight enough to keep out insects or rodents or anything else that crawls and shimmies and lays eggs, might not be the best place for a plush couch. Now, I know they can be comfy after a long day out fishing in a field, just never mind the nest and the fuzzy spots. I just nestle on in and become one with the cabin. So that's that's the upholstered furniture kind of pet peeve number one. Number two, the bathroom. Now the bathroom is a good place to focus on the electrical system. 
being up to code is a very citified concept. It's not for the woods. It's not for for a, a more isolated experience, I guess you could say. Wire nuts and grounding don't have a place in the great outdoors. Consequently, reaching for a light switch with a wet hand is a bit of a gamble. But drywall covers a multitude of sins, and without it, the seedy underbelly of shoddy work is on display for all to see. But we're, quote, getting away from it all, which apparently includes light fixtures that consist of more than just a bulb dangling from a ceiling. You notice that in cabins, that the one place they put drywall, the one place they put a different floor, is in the bathroom. You gotta wonder what's back there. Now, if the aforementioned features strike a chord or seem negative, I apologize. But remember, critical isn't always a criticism. Sometimes it's, you know, charming to have the dangling light bulb over you in the shower while you're all wet and without clothes. All right, another common element is the fishing memorabilia. Rods, reels, flies, posters, fishing game signs, or the dying art of taxidermy are all acceptable. You know, taxidermy, again, I'm not advocating we kill animals and put them up on the walls. I don't mind killing it. Let me, goodness, let me qualify that. I have no problem with killing animals, with harvesting a deer or harvesting fish, particularly if they're the kind of fish that are part of a fishery that is not threatened in any sort of, of way. I think in that situation, all of the other environmental protective um, you know, things that we're doing make it necessary that we harvest some of those fish. I'm not saying, though, that you should go out to a steelhead river in the Pacific Northwest and catch and mount a steelhead. All right. Anyway, back to taxidermy. The thing is that a lot of this stuff can be bought with a faux vintage aesthetic from any number of discount stores. But at a fishing camp, there's a good chance that the stuff is legitimate. That big lake trout, that pawpaw caught in 1948, it's missing a fin, it's basically gray all over, but it's always been over the nesty, fuzzy couch. The rod, reel, and lure used to catch her is also hanging above the sooty mantle then maybe people know that you're into fishing and then they get you some junky, kitschy stuff and your wife will gladly let you take it to the cabin. Now, I've had that said to me more often than not. You know, that would be a wonderful thing if we had a cabin. If you had a place that you went to to go fishing, that's where you could put that, which is a very nice and encouraging uh, way for her to tell me that there's no way that that's going up in the house. So it goes to the office and everybody that comes in for appointments and meetings and counseling gets to look at my kitschy, ugly fishing stuff. So going from the living room to the bedroom. The bed probably stinks, literally and figuratively, as a matter of fact. But who puts a nice bed in a buggy, damp cabin? So if you're young enough to not be sore already from going fishing over the weekend, then it isn't going to matter what you're sleeping on. If you're old enough to get sore from fishing, then it also isn't going to matter what you're sleeping on. Anyway, sleeping on these trips, on, on fly fishing trips, is just the few hours between fishing and coffee anyway. And, as I've said before, night one is awful no matter where you are. But night two, it doesn't matter what you're sleeping on. You're going to sleep well because you are going to be so incredibly exhausted because you're not at your desk. You've been fishing for two days straight. Under the cabin. Plumbing. As miraculous as nature is on its own, roaches and mice really demonstrate their resourcefulness and adaptability when it comes to your sinks and toilets. I'm no biologist, but commodes aren't natural occurring in the wild. Yet for some reason, 
a field mouse will navigate the many watery twists and turns with the greatest of ease in your cabin. It's really astonishing, miraculous even. And then there are the smells. Back to the smells. I'll start with the smells. Our noses and their corollary nerves do an incredible job of linking us to places in ways that the high-profile senses like sight and hearing barely approach. So even the waiter funk and general dustiness that we encounter send our minds hurtling back to the last time or the first time we were in a cabin. Somehow, someway, that stink can subversively replace every negative or less than ideal memory and push the nostalgia to the forefront. Bad nights of sleep, bites or rashes or stains picked up probably from that couch, and late night brawls with overconfident raccoons all fade away with the promise of another week of fishing. Just be sure to check the toilet bowl before you sit down and wash your clothes as soon as you get home. Those two things hopefully are mutually exclusive. But hug your wife right away, or your husband, or your kids, or whoever, even if you love them smelling like mothballs. Cabins are great, and I am all about cabins, but the fact of the matter is is that cabins have become chic, and everything I said in the last five minutes is still true in a lot of places, but on really popular rivers all across the country, the cabins are nothing like that. They are fancy. Some might even say fancy schmancy. And that's good. And I've stayed in those before, the you know $300 a night uh, metropolitan uh, area cabins. And those are posh, but they're almost like too nice. Like I've laid in them before thinking like, this would be the place I would come if I didn't want to leave the cabin. But the whole point of me coming here and staying at the cabin is so I can leave all day and fish and only come back here to sleep. And so there are, I mean, there's grades. There's the crummy old cabin, kind of what I was describing earlier. And those are great, but oftentimes those are, those are not particularly cheap because they're old and so they have perceived value or they have real value to somebody, but to you it's, it's just perceived value. Then you have the kind of the ramshackle like state park cabin. I just, I've never stayed in one and um, those are the most murdery in my mind. When I think of a scary place, it is a cabin that is very easily accessible that somebody else stayed in last weekend that uh, may be lurking nearby. Maybe that's a bad stereotype. and I'm not putting down any state parks that might have cabins like this, but they're just super Spartan, and uh, I've never been in one that's been close to like a blue ribbon trout stream. So I'm sure they're great. I have just no experience with them. I've just cast a lot of judgment, obviously. All right, so there's that. And then on the other end is what I said before. There's the the real high-end, really nice cabins. So I have nothing against those. What I think is like the better option is to get on Airbnb or to get on VBRO or to get on HomeAway, and that is where you find your cabin. Because what are the benefits of using a cabin for a fishing trip? You've got your own place. You're not staying in a hotel. And what does this allow you to do? You hang your waders on the front porch. You leave all your rods strung up and all your stuff can dry out on the front porch. You can sit on the front porch. Really, it's about a front porch. If you can just have a front porch and a bed, then you're you're good to go. But you can have all those things. You have a place to keep your food. You have a place to spread out and stretch out. You can unload your suitcase. You can see all your stuff that's right there. And you can often find a place like that for, in my experience, a more reasonable rate than a advertised log cabin rental 
on a on a, from a private renter utilizing one of those rental sites. I have found some awesome deals that usually cut about maybe 30 to 40% less than a place that has a series of cabins uh, across a hillside or in a region. Now sometimes those are excellent. I'm not going to disparage those things at all, but a lot of times those are slanted towards people that want to be there for a particular purpose, hunting, fishing, snowmobiling, hiking, things like that. But if you get someone who's just trying to put their house up for rent in the off season, or maybe for the just the few months that they're not there, that's when you find the great deals. And I have found some places that blow quote unquote fishing cabins out of the water that are on great trout streams that are on awesome lakes that are again, cheaper than the advertised quote-unquote cabins so check that out Um, again as I mentioned earlier I think we're going to be able to most places of this country go out and do what we want to do in the very near future and so now's the time to strike while the iron's hot of course you know you want to make sure that you're not going to a state that's going to require you to quarantine or something like that and there's maybe a refund policy and boy I hope that those things I just said sound so ridiculous to somebody listening to this in a few months or even in a year like what is he even talking about again I'm optimistic but Hotels are fine, tent camping is fine, car camping is fine, but I feel like the most optimal fishing vacation, fishing trip experience, if you can't afford a lodge, is to find a rustic rental. It might be a cabin, it might just be a house that has a porch that you can sit on, that you can keep your stuff on, and you just um, make that your base camp for the duration of your trip. Yeah, do that. Make it happen. Enjoy yourself and uh, watch out for raccoons. This week on Casting Across, the first post was called Whiskey Leatherworks, Small Batch Iconic. I mentioned Whiskey Leatherworks a few weeks ago in my recommendation. And so I followed up by having a conversation with them. And we had a great talk. Really cool company. Real great people who are pouring themselves into making belts and wallets and bags and flasks and all sorts of other leather and canvas accessories. And it's it's a, a cool thing because it is such a tangible thing. You think how often you wear a belt and where do you get your belt? Is it just something off the rack at Target? What happens to that belt? The, the adhered uh, finish starts coming off in a matter of months. And the one belt loop that you use more often than not gets stretched out wicked quick. And it costs you 35 40 bucks. So you spend maybe twice that, and you have something that's going to last you years that's made of high-quality leather that somebody just waited for your order to come in, and they took your measurements, and they cut a piece of high-quality leather and punched it and stitched it just for you. And um, there's something to that. You know, everything we buy is off the rack. Everything is big box. And I know for a lot of things, that's totally fine. But for something that you're going to be using every day, for something that maybe is a little bit more special, uh, for something that you want to be a little bit more substantial, uh, then then you can go, I think, a few extra bucks and, a, and a, a little bit more work. Anyway, Whiskey Leatherworks out in Montana, really cool stuff. Why in the world talk about belts for a fly fishing website and podcast? Because they integrate, well, first of all, they're fly fishers, but secondly, they integrate fly fishing prints and fly fishing imagery into a lot of their products. And so the, the image I have on the website is kind of the header image of this cutthroat belt 
it's super cool. If I lived out west and I caught a lot of cutthroat trout, that would be on my waist right now. But I have one of their belts. It's a bison leather belt, and it is, it's awesome. All right. Next article is called Trout and Feather June. So I mentioned last month that I am now contributing to the Trout and Feather website. And Trout and Feather is primarily fly tying. So my articles don't really explore fly tying. But this month, my article talked about why you should be an amateur fly fishing historian. So you go to my website, you get a little bit of a teaser for that. And then you go to Trout and Feather to read about fly fishing history. If you've never explored it, I give you three ways that you can um, quickly and easily get into finding out more about what you love and what you do. But then also in that post, I share two great videos from Tim at Trout and Feather. The first one is called Finishing Techniques for Fly Tying. And I mentioned here um, that I've seen a lot of people, including myself, that are super precise at tying flies, but then when it comes time to finishing it, it's just kind of throwing something on there until you can get your UV epoxy out. Or if you're like me, you just tie a really ugly head and otherwise decent looking fly. So he walks through a bunch of different ways and tools to finish flies. And then another one's called Ferimsky's Bugskin Wiggler. And this is a cool video because it's not just Tim tying a fly. It's Tim um, having a conversation with Chuck Ferimsky of the Fly Fishing Show as he ties a fly. And then not just talking about tying the fly, but they also talk about fishing the fly. So again, this is why I'm excited to be working and collaborating with Trout and Feather. It's, it's more than your run-of-the-mill fly tying website and YouTube channel. So check out Trout and Feather June on castingacross.com. This week's recommendation on the podcast is Sightline Provisions. Now, there's a very good chance that Sightline Provisions is nothing new to my audience because they have made a significant splash in the fly fishing world um, for their artistry and for just their really cool and iconic look. So Sightline Provisions, they, they made their name, Edgar made his name with cuffs, little leather bracelets with trout badges and fish badges and fly badges on them. But if that is not your bag, or because it is June, if that is not your dad or grad's bag, that is okay because he has other stuff too that anybody would be happy to get. Because again, a lot like Whiskey Leather Works, Sightline Provisions is artisanal and custom and real and substantial and something that's made to last. So you can get a Yeti cuff so it doesn't go on dad's wrist. I mean, it could if he's into really big bracelets, but it goes on your Yeti tumbler. Or there's a watch band. You might have a watch that is kind of blah, but you could have a leather band with a tarpon or a trout badge on it, or even a little streamside journal. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. So just go to sightlineprovisions.com. There will be a link to Sightline Provisions on the show notes for this podcast uh, on castingacross.com. And I think I'll also throw in there an interview that I did with Edgar almost four years ago now, right when he was uh, just uh, kind of breaking in and, uh, and making a splash. And so it's kind of cool to see that conversation and then bring it forward to today. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.